This morning is Sunday morning. It's December 31st. The year is 2006. That in itself feels like a bit of a miracle to me. I was telling my son, who is nine, I remember sitting in a house at about his age, listening to my parents at the table, and I was struggling to do the math, trying to find out how old I would be in the year 2000. Certain that this would be an age where George Jetson would be flying around, right? If the world didn't come to an end and we didn't reach the perfection of the resurrection by that time, I was sure, certainly, by 2007 it would occur. And 2007 is upon us. You remember the songs. We're going to party like it's 1999, right? And 1999 has come and gone. Soon the Space Odyssey 2010 will have come and gone. Time keeps marching by. And yet God has destined a time and place for you to be. There is a place called there in your life where God says, I want you to go there and there I will make provision for you. It is a good feeling to know that whether your plans are on course, whether you see fruit in your life or not, you are right where God has called you to be. Isn't that awesome? Saints, Acts 17 tells us that God determined the times and places you would live and work for the express purpose of you reaching out and finding Him, though He's not far from you. You remember that song, I Found Jesus? I don't know whether I found Him or He found me. I know one day He wasn't there as far as I could see, and the next day He was. And I've never been the same since. Isn't that awesome? Let's not forget what that's like. Turn to Genesis 21. Does it surprise you we're in the book of Genesis? At least it's not the third chapter, right? What's that? Oh, yeah, our title for our message today is The Well of Salvation. The Well of Salvation. We're not going to read it, but Numbers 21, Israel says, Oh, sing, sing, spring up, O well, down in my soul. Sing, spring up, O well. The Bible speaks of a well being within you. The New Testament builds on this theme, but it didn't come from the New Testament. It came out of a rich heritage of Judaism that saw wells as certain things. And I wanted to cover that with you. Are you in Genesis 21? What does your title say in Genesis 21? The birth of Isaac, right? We're not going to talk about Isaac. Isaac is the favored son, right? Isaac is the one born in supernatural power, the special child, isn't he? Come on now. You ever had a brother or sister? Right? You ever seen somebody easy things came to? Come on, if not in the natural, in the kingdom. You've seen the guy that sings well, is good looking, speaks well, and seemingly can do no wrong, right? That's great. Good for him. But what about Ishmael? Ishmael has been living with Abraham, Sarai, and Hagar. <coughs> he hadn't done anything wrong, but we got a superstar here, right? And so contention begins to build. Starting in verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about me will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is a moment of victory for them, is it not? But it's not so good for Ishmael. Come on, saints, have you never been on the wrong side of the church's blessing? Everybody's dancing, everybody's happy but your life is broken and in pieces? When I read about Samson, I love him. Awesome. Moved in power. 
but constantly sold out by his brothers. I don't know how Christianity has treated you, but I know that I find a certain identification with Gandhi's words. Christ I love. He's all right. I've examined him. It's his followers I have a problem with. I want you to hear this morning not about the God of Isaac, but the God of Ishmael. And that's hard for me to even say. I have such an issue with some of Ishmael's descendants today and their followers of a corrupt, satanic prophet named Muhammad. I have a hard time even buying gas in gas stations where I know the people are Muslim because I know that their lives are contributing to something that is against the plan of God. But it did not start that way with Ishmael. This is almost 2000 B.C. And Ishmael was a man just like you and I. Except at this point, he's a little boy. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son, Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son, I read this for years and said, oh, Abraham was concerned. He was distressed because it concerned Isaac. It doesn't concern Isaac. That's not what he's distressed about. He's distressed about what this is going to mean for Ishmael. Keep reading. But God said to him, do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. We're not talking about Isaac. It's a foregone conclusion. The promise would go through Isaac. The nation of God would be built through Isaac. But what about Ishmael? Your faith will always leave a legacy on the earth. It's because this child belonged to Abraham, a man of faith who trusted God that he would be blessed. And didn't the promise in Genesis 12 say all nations would be blessed through Abraham? Doesn't that extend to Ishmael too? Don't you think God cared about this child too? He was a man just like us. If you've ever known what it was like to not be the senator's son that Creedence Clearwater Revival sang about. There's only a few of you in here that even know what that is, huh? If you've ever known what it was like to feel like an outcast even in the family of God, there's a message here. But God said to him, Do not be distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Look down at verse 14. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He sat them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. I want to give you a little note real quickly and then I'm going to move on. If we say... I live in the United States of America. Has this land always been called the United States of America? So when we say Columbus discovered America, was it America when he discovered it? No, it was called something else. It's only in the rearview mirror that we say Columbus sailed to America, right? Because it wasn't America when he got here. The Bible just did that. It says that she went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. You know what's interesting about that? It had never been called Beersheba. It's not been named Beersheba yet. It gets named in the coming chapters. And in that name we find a beautiful message. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby about a bow shot away, for she thought, 
I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat nearby, she began to sob. Come on, you never never seen a single mother? Some of you in here have been single mothers. Some are now. Feel abandoned? Feel let down? Nobody hears you? Nobody cares about your plight? This woman gave her child up to die. She didn't do anything wrong. She was the victim of circumstance. This child hasn't done anything wrong other than what boys do. He mocked another kid. Man, we got school teachers in here today. Has there ever been a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade class where students didn't mock each other? Certainly this is not worthy of a death sentence. What's wrong with him? He was born to the wrong household. Saints, whether or not you can relate to this in the kingdom, you can certainly relate to it out of the kingdom. You were once lost. You were once born to the wrong household. Everything that you did was tainted with slavery because you were a slave to sin. And there was a death sentence on your life. Despite your parents' best efforts in some cases and in others, your parents didn't even care. You were sentenced to death because you were in Adam and Eve's lineage. Destined to die sitting under a tree. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to Hagar, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying and he lies there. Is this the promised son? No. Is this the one who would form the great nation of God? God's man of power for the hour? No. And yet God heard him crying. I thank God we serve the kind that cares about the lowly. I thank God that we serve the kind of God who cares about the outcast and seeks them out wherever they are. The angel said, what's the matter? What problem do you have that God's unaware of? His first instruction to her, do not be afraid. Saints, how many times have I stood behind this pulpit and told you that the Word of God says, do not be afraid. We act sometimes as if God doesn't see our slavery. He doesn't see our bondage. He doesn't see our struggle. You know when we act like that? When we have fear of circumstance, fear of tomorrow, fear that God will not come through for you. Fear is an enemy of faith. If I said it once, I said it a thousand times. You know how I know that? Because it wars right between my ears. And if I let it, it will pollute my heart. When I started this church, it was just Jennifer and I. We were scared nobody would come. Then we were scared that we wouldn't complete what we had started. Then we were scared God wouldn't send us people to help us do this. And yet, here we stand today. What you do with your fear determines whether or not you make it in the kingdom. I choose to push it aside to trust God. You're scared if you do certain things, bad things will happen. Come hell or high water, trust God. This woman is afraid and God says, do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying and as he lies, crying as he lies there. Hear this. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand. Whatever your problems are, you raise them up before God. He's not unaware. You show Him that you know that He sees what is wrong. You show Him that you know He hears. Does this remind you of another son 
in Israel who was born of a slave woman who was sentenced to death and God lifted him up. You thought it was only Isaac that represented Jesus. Everything in this Word paints a picture of Jesus for you to see. For I will make Him into a great nation. Verse 19 is something worth underlining. It is worth understanding. It is worth dwelling on a little bit. When I ask you next week what I preached on this week, this ought to be a verse that rolls around in your mind. This ought to be something that you find life in. This woman has lifted up her problem to God thinking her child is going to die. And God says, don't be afraid. I hear Him. And watch this verse. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. I want you to understand something, saints. If we're in here and there's a giant well right there, and God says, then He opened Jan's eyes and she saw it. Is that because the well just appeared? It had always been there. She just couldn't see it. What kept her from seeing it? Fear kept her from seeing it. Mistrust of God kept her from seeing it. Despair kept her from seeing it. But as soon as she lifted that problem up to God and understood, He heard her. He was with her. She saw a well right there. That well becomes an important place in Israel. You'll see every patriarch fight for it. You'll see that it marks the southern boundaries of Israel today. It is a landmark you can drive to today. This well. Because it shows God hears. It shows that it's the place where God will meet the outcast and open up something for you. I was once very, very lost. I saw no hope anywhere around me. And yet, right before my eyes, God opened up something that had always been there and I had never seen before. Come on, you thought that you found Jesus. You thought that suddenly you got in a place where God met with you. The Word teaches us He had been all around you all of your life and He is today. It's just suddenly you became aware of it. So how do we handle our problems, saints? Oh, I know. Whining, moaning, on the telephone, complaining. So much so that people don't want to say, hey dude, how are you doing? Because they don't want to hear your answer. That's how we spend our time. Come on, saints, no more. We've crossed over. I will not dwell in that kind of death anymore. I will choose to be happy. You ever driven down the road with somebody and every car that pulls out, everybody on the road shouldn't be there. What's that guy doing? What's this guy doing? Mad at everything. The phone rings. Who's that? Why is it that we choose to be frustrated when God's called us to dwell in life? He has called us to dwell in life and all we have to do is open our eyes and the life-sustaining substance is right there to meet your needs, even to deliver you from death. If He will deliver this child born of a slave woman who is not the favored child, certainly He'll deliver you who He set His affections upon. I love verse 19 says, then God opened her eyes and she saw the well of water. So she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy and he grew up. God was what? With the boy. You may have no friends. The whole world may have turned their back on you. The church is very, very good at that. It eats its own. 
But God will not depart from you if you cling to Him. Period. I know what it is like to be in a foreign city to me, not knowing anybody there, and my closest friends, at least my perception was, they didn't love me anymore. And that is exactly where I found out God was still with me. It's in that brokenness that you learn how to stand on the foundation God gives you instead of on the foundation you built for yourself. You ever been honest with somebody and confessed something that was earth-shattering? They felt like they could never look at you the same again? Good. Anything they see in you from this point forward, they'll know was God and not you. Come on, saints. It's time to get real. It is time to live this thing out for real, or like we'd say in Louisiana, for true. It's time to quit playing with this. It's time to open our eyes and see the well right in front of our face. By the way, this boy goes on to become an archer, another type of Jesus. Second Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 say it's only Jesus who can bend that bow of bronze. It speaks of him as an archer, somebody who shoots rightly. It's where we probably get the term straight shooter as opposed to that other kind of shooter. <laughs> Y'all got that, didn't you? Y'all hadn't been in church all your lives. <laughs> you want to read some more? In the 22nd verse, you have a title. It says, The Treaty at Beersheba, and yet it's not called Beersheba yet. This is a name put on it after the fact. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. It's nice when the world looks at you and recognizes God is with you. But Abimelech is standing there with his warlord. He's standing there with Phicol, the commander of his forces. Who's Abraham standing there with? Who's Abraham's commander of his forces? Where's Abraham's Abram's tank? He stands there just a man, believing in a promise of God so much that he'll move when God says move. He'll walk and go where God says go. God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown you. We'll get into this a little later, but Abraham was not a perfect man. God didn't show him kindness because of his perfection. He showed him kindness because of his trust. And he didn't always have trust. But I'll cover that later. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants have seized. There was a particular well that Abraham was concerned about. I wonder why. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me and I only heard about it today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to, to Abimelech. And the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? Abimelech was no dummy. He knew that there had to be some significance in this. Don't you imagine Abimelech had enough of his own sheep? What was Abraham trying to show him? Why seven? Why not six? Why not eight? Why seven? Because seven in the Bible has to do with perfection and completion. These ewe lambs were perfect in their own right. They were without blemish. And he brought a symbol of something showing his intentions. He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hands as a witness that I dug this well. 
So that the place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Now in the Bible, when you swear an oath, when you cut a covenant with someone, you know what happened to these seven ewe lambs? They didn't get added to a flock. He brought a perfect blood sacrifice as a witness that this well belonged to him. They cut these seven ewe lambs in two and they walked between them and said, if one of us violates this covenant, may God do to us what we did to the lambs. That's how you made a covenant. What was so important about this well that Abraham would bring a perfect sacrifice, deal with a head of a nation and the commander of his forces to make sure that he retained the rights to that well? That well was a symbol that God hears. That when one of his sons was about to die, God heard and He showed him this well as a life-giving source. In other words, we have Abraham the father making a righteous, perfect covenant based on what God had done for the son. Right there. This place becomes Beersheba, which means well of the covenant, well of the seven, both of those things. The place of the perfect covenant. This would become a southern boundary in Israel, so that you would hear constantly, from Dan to Beersheba, God will do thus and so. The word spread from Dan to Beersheba constantly. The southern boundary of Israel was marked with a well. And the well was a sign that God heard the outcast, that God provided a well. Abraham did something else. He did what men of faith do. Let me ask you something. You get saved, right? You see God suddenly in a new light. He opens your eyes. All of a sudden you see what you couldn't see before. My friend Preston said it was like he pulled up a chair behind his own set of eyes for the first time. The job of preachers, the job of men called of God in the kingdom is to help people understand that covenant and to do something with it. Watch this. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Abraham stood by this well. He planted a tamarisk tree. In the ancient world, these evergreen trees were a sign that meant everlasting because they were green in season and out. Abraham planted something so that this well could be found by all future descendants. He said, when we cried to God, when I had a need that was bigger than me, I trusted Him. I sent my son out, even though I was distressed about it because God said, but God heard His cry. So with a perfect sacrifice, I struck a covenant and I planted an eternal tree there. You might even say a tree of life so that everybody that passed would know this is the spot and they would know how to find life and water. There's a day in your life where God opened your eyes. You saw a well. If this hasn't happened, it needs to. And your job was to plant a tree beside it. Plant some marker, a sign of the covenant so that always you can look back and say, look, I may be a little confused. Things may have gotten a little out of control here. But I remember one thing. I needed God and He came through for me. And on the basis of a covenant of trust, I now have an eternal covenant with Him and I call on Yahweh, the eternal God, in this situation, just like I did that one. There's a well of salvation that is open to us. 
there's also an enemy of God. Wouldn't it be great if Abimelech and Phicol kept their word? Wouldn't it be great if the world acted like Christians? Real Christians. It would be great if Christians acted like Christians. Turn with me to Genesis 26. This little ball of dirt we're on is hurling around the sun at a frightening pace. I always heard it said that the older you get, the faster time seems to go. I never believed them because I was too young to see it. Now when I look back and see that my oldest son is nine and it was yesterday I was holding him up above my head, dedicating him to the Lord, I finally am beginning to understand what everybody's always told me. We only have so much time here. This well of salvation was a momentous event in our lives. I choose to dwell on it. I choose to think about it. I choose to open it every day. You were sick when you woke up this morning. You could think about that all day and how bad you were sick. You could get depressed about it. You could get upset about it. Or you could remember that God has answered every prayer. He's been faithful and He's come through just at the right time. And so you get up and you keep moving. Anybody not get enough sleep? I asked you all before the service. I know you didn't. We spent all day in bed. But in the end, what we have to show for it? It's a whole lot easier to sit on the sidelines than it is to play in the game. It's a whole lot harder to play hurt than it is to play healthy. But it's all about where there is great suffering, there is great glory. Saints, you have to decide. Do these light and momentary troubles outweigh the glory? Or does the glory outweigh these light and momentary troubles? You have to put yourself in a position to choose every day. And the answer to that question is what I told you Wednesday. No, Satan! I have crossed over. I will not begin to compare what is being revealed in me with those problems. There, I count them all as dung. Isn't that what Paul said? How did he endure so much? That's how. Plant a tree by your experiences with God. Let them be milestones. Never let them go from your heart and let them guide you. I was on the floor in a one-bedroom apartment in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I wasn't sure that I was going to stay saved. But I began to cry out to God, the same God who spoke to me in my bedroom in 1993, and He heard me. Cling to your experiences with God. And if you don't have them, get them. Get him. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't just do it for Eric and Matthew. He does it for everybody who earnestly seeks, or else his word is a lie. Y'all in Genesis 26? In Genesis 26, I want to read you two verses. I'm going to read you more than two, but I want to read you these two. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. In Abraham's time, there was a famine. By the way, that's how he gets to Abimelech's land. And now in Isaac's time, there is a famine. And yet the gospel you hear proclaimed all over the earth today is, God wants you blessed. Blessed how? Blessed in the middle of a famine. Because that takes trust in Him. If you're moving, right? How do you evaluate where you move? You get out the almanac? Do you see the billboards that say, oh, this city is the third best in the world or whatever it is? How do you make your decisions? God takes His people and He puts them in the middle of a desert because He expects them to make it an oasis. 
He does not put them in the oasis. When He does, they make it a desert. Go back and read the first few chapters of Genesis and tell me that's not true. How did man start? Oh, with everything ease all around him, right? How good did he do with that? But the second Adam, where did he find life? Jesus went right out into the desert. Read the end of the book. What does he make that desert? An oasis. We do not do good without adversity. We don't. So learn to love it. Embrace it. Fight through it. See it as God working in your life. So things aren't going well. Good! This is what you were built for. If they were going well, why would God need you? Sometimes I feel like everything in my life is breaking all around me. Right? What a great chance for God to be God and fix it. What would you have to trust Him for if there were no problems? Why would you need God? If you can't survive in a famine being fed by His hand, better yet, why does He need you? You think, he, you think there's a shortage of whiners and complainers on the earth? Is there a shortage of panty-waist people out there? Oh, I'm not supposed to use that word, am I? Dandelion, pansy people. That's what I meant. Yeah. Is there a shortage of those out there? Does he really need to draft, pay for with his blood, people to come into his body, represent him to go do that? Think about it, saints. We have a saying in this church. Put a smile on your face. Fake it until you make it. Every Sunday I walk in. Every Sunday. And I'm hoping that you're putting that into practice. I woke up this morning and I didn't want to get out of bed. I had the good, solid, less than three hours sleep. Got the same junk going on in me everybody else does. Sometimes you've got to learn to say, nevertheless, God. I found out He moves more powerfully in me when I'm weaker than when I'm strong. wonder where I found that out. All right, you ready for your cheesy, corny saying? Bet you won't forget it, though. Dusty Bibles make dirty lives. You hear me? Dusty Bibles make dirty lives. God's people are devoured because they don't know what He says. Dusty Bibles make dirty lives. It's time to get in the Word. It's time to get strong. It's time to learn how to fight for what God's given you. Abraham paid a great price for this well, right? He planted a tree right beside it because he wanted all of his descendants to know this is the place where God answered prayer. This is the place. This is the life-giving source. Isn't that why he did it? Would you, can you at least surmise that from what I'm telling you? Okay. Well, now there's a famine in the land. Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I called you to live. Isaac, I realize there's a famine. I realize that your flesh would like to sprint as fast as it possibly could to some place where there is no famine, but I called you here. If you have the Thompson chain, you'll be turning a page. If not, you'll be standing down to verse 12. There was a what in the land? Come on, y'all, wake up. There was a what in the land? A famine. Verse 12. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. When you go to battle, is God handicapped by your lack of a horse? Is there a king that is saved by the size of his army? Then why do we look around us at our circumstances and decide whether or not God's blessing us in them? What is great about God is that He can put you in a dry and barren place and cause you to prosper. 
But that takes trust, doesn't it? That takes being where he said to be, when he said to be there. And why do you think God wanted Isaac here? Well, let's see. Isaac planted crops in the land that same year and reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Didn't Abimelech take an oath? Wasn't Phicol there? Didn't he take an oath? We have an enemy that is damned. Fate sealed. He's broken his covenant. That much is certain. We need to decide what's certain about you, though. Are you going to be faithful to the terms of your covenant with God? Are you going to share the fate of the enemy? God put Isaac, the anointed supernatural son, in a position where it would become clear there's a worldwide famine. The only way you could possibly prosper in this is if God was with you. He wanted everybody to know this is the man of my choosing. You're going to read later in this chapter, it was abundantly clear to them. And why did he put him there? Because these people were stopping up the life-giving wells, the wells of salvation for God's people. It's one thing when the enemy does this. We're going to read later about other shepherds who do it. God put him here because the enemy was stopping up the wells. I don't know what the enemy's done in your life to try to obscure the well of salvation for you. When it says he filled them with earth, I want you to think about what that means. How much garbage did the devil try to fill you with to stop up that well that is salvation in you? Since you've been born again, how much did he try to do to you to tarnish your garment? Wednesday night, people came and they repented at this altar and they found life. That's awesome. What a good thing. It's like Clorox, you know? Make your garments white again. But it is amazing how much of the earth the enemy can pile into us to try to keep it from being evident that God is with us. You have to decide what you're going to do about that, saints. He put him here so that he could fix this problem. When you see other Christians and they have a little too much earth in their well, what do you do? You denounce them. You talk about them. You tell jokes for 20 years about them. All the while hiding the earth that's in your heart. We have to figure out how to help each other and stop these wells. Because the truth is, the same life-giving water flows in all of us. Or it doesn't flow at all. If somebody is born again, if they're in Christ, Christ is in them. And if you can't see it, you need to help them refine their lives until they can. Not ostracize them, not throw them out. Because you will need the life that is in them. There is no question about it. We were not made to survive alone. He called us into a community of believers precisely because we could help them stop each other's wells. I'd sing Lean on Me now, but obviously my voice is impaired. It's the only reason I haven't done it. Of course, right? Craig, you know how well I sing, right? Mm. <laughs> then Abimelech said to Isaac, verse 16, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. It's funny, the enemy wants no part of you when you're doing well in the kingdom. He's looking for that opportune time to devour you. Saints, I want to tell you the truth. I don't care what kind of family you come from. That opportune time comes when you've been separated from the body of Christ. 
whether your sin, your laziness, their sin, or their laziness has caused it, He is looking to devour you, and that happens when you are not in the kingdom's assembly. You know how many times I woke up and didn't want to go to church, but got there and found something that helped me through the week? This sounds like self-righteousness, I'm sorry. But in the 13 years I've been in the kingdom, I bet I have not missed five church services. Oh, well, Eric, that's because of your job. No, saints. That's because I was in the kingdom first. Everything else came second. Somewhere you need to decide to cross over. You need to decide what is important. You need to decide that you want to make it and quit playing games. Otherwise, you'll look like a Christian. You won't act like one. You will be a muddy, watered well that nobody can drink from, and you will give an account when you stand before the king. Say, oh, well, he's preaching church attendance. No, I'm talking about how to find life. I've been in this thing long enough to find out that not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom because they do not do His will. And then they sit around and whine and wonder why they didn't get it right. If you are not at practice, you don't know how to play in the game. That's just the truth. You've got a dusty Bible you never read. You've got an empty chair with your name on it. And you're whining about why life is kicking you around instead of you kicking life around. Well, that's why. Is it any secret? Do we need to say it anymore? So when you see empty chairs next to you that your brothers and sisters are supposed to be in, realize the enemy's trying to pile earth into their life and help them out. I lost one last year. Lost one this year. I don't want to lose any more next year, saints. I need some help. It's not enough that pastor calls people and says, how are you doing? When are you going to do it? We need to reach out. We need to help. Say, so, oh, well, they act like idiots. Well, when did you not act like an idiot? If church was perfect, it was ruined when you walked through the door. Right now, somewhere out there, there's a 17-year-old kid that needs help. We need to find him. And if you can't lay hands on Him, if you can't lay eyes on Him, you can certainly lay prayer on Him. But have you thought about that today? Or did you just think about what you were going to eat, when you were going to go to sleep, and how well rested you need to be for work? Saints, the time is now to fight. The time is now to draw the line in the sand and say, I won't compromise anymore. I'm through with low living. It's kingdom-mindedness from here on out. You know what that will do for you? It would make sin not very enticing because the battle is at hand. You don't have time to go sin. You don't have time to dwell in things you shouldn't because you're about the king's business. If David had been at war instead on the palace roof, he would have saved himself lots of misery. I'm content to be in the trenches. I have assigned myself that that is my life. He did not call me to luxury. He did not call me to a life of ease sitting on my salvation. He called me to be a warrior. What did He call you to? When we get that prophecy that says that you were a vessel, that He had to break so He could rebuild, what is He rebuilding you for? To look pretty on a pew somewhere? We think we're special because we speak in tongues. Those that don't speak in tongues in here think that you're special because you know something about eschatology somebody else doesn't know. Saints, I want to be special because my faith is seen in what I do. I want to be special because people know that no matter what, I will be there on that day, not because of what I believe, but because of what I do. I am through with double-mindedness. I am through being a windshield wiper, going left and right and left and right. 
Saints, those that are blessed are those that make their way straight before God. I want you to hear that. They make their way straight before God. The path of least resistance makes men and rivers crooked. It does it every time. If all you're doing is looking for the easiest route, you have no hope in this kingdom. So Isaac moved away from there and he encamped in the valley of Gerar and he settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham. This year, when you look back, whose well did you help reopen? Who did you fight for? Who did you stand toe-to-toe with to help them succeed? Oh, you thought we were only going to talk about what God had done in your life tonight. We live in a me generation, self-centered as it comes. Say, well, that's your generation. I trust me. It's every generation in here. The problem is self. When Christianity becomes centrifugal, when it radiates outwards, when people ask you which way you're blessed, it'll start coming out of your mouth. Oh, God moved in so-and-so's life and so-and-so's life and so-and-so's, and I had a small part in it. That's where you see your blessings as. Not how fat your bank account is. Which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. You ever heard the expression? Oh, I'm on the mountaintop or I'm in the valley? In the light of that expression, what is the valley? Not a good place, right? Right? It's time of struggle. But where do Isaac's servants find the water? In the valley. You remember that old song? Pop, I know you remember it. He's the lily of the valley. He's the bright morning star. Where do things grow? In the valley. They grow in the hard places, in the rough places. Where do you expect to grow? You think it's up, up, up on Zion? I assure you it's in the valley. You were built for adversity. Your life needs to be about reopening what the enemy's trying to stop up. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. And he moved on from there and dug another well. And no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. So what's all that about? Everywhere you resisted, You dig a well and you move on to build another one. If the enemy keeps you from turning left, then turn to the right. You do it four times, you'll be back where you started. Saints, just don't quit. Just don't quit. If you lose one battle, go and find another one to fight. You were built for this. We are supposed to succeed. Success always comes after lots of failures. That's just how it is. I wish everybody I'd ever talked to about Jesus did great and made it. It's just not the way that it is. I wish I did great in Jesus every day. It's just not the way that it is. But tomorrow I'm going to dig another well. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. I'm the God of the guy that in this very place had an oath, had a covenant, planted an everlasting sign to say, I am the God who provides what you need right here at Beersheba. Do not be afraid. Where have we heard that before? 
Had you been contended with so much, had to move so many times, been knocked around so much that your life was full of fear? Lift that problem up to God and see if He doesn't hear you. See if He doesn't give you a reason to trust Him. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will number your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, called on the name of Yahweh. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Look at verse 28. I'm going to leave this move on to something else. Look at verse 28. The enemy is contending with him. It says, They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said there ought to be an agreement between us. They saw what? Clearly. You mean in all Isaac struggling, even though he had to give up this well, move on to another one, give up this well, move on to another one, give up this well, move on to another one, the enemy saw clearly that God was with him? I thought blessing was a sign of God's favor. Apparently, it's blessing in the struggle that is a sign of God's favor. Saints, is that getting in there? So this next year, what do you expect? You need to plant a super green tree right beside your well of salvation. You need to constantly be unstopping it. You need to look in others' lives to see if you can help get the earth out of their well that is trying to muddy the water so that the enemy will clearly see, clearly see that you're with the Lord. I want to be honest. There are times I don't even clearly see that you're with the Lord. You're with the Lord some days and not with the Lord other days. You know what that makes you? Just like me. But we have a chance to do better. We have a chance to do better this year. The wonderful thing is that the calendars are going to change. We picked an arbitrary spot in time, call it a new year, and it's a new day for us. You can do better tomorrow than you did today. I want everybody to see clearly Eric's with the Lord. The church is with the Lord. If you look back on this year with regrets, wash them away and decide you'll have no regrets this next year. Some regrets are based on your expectations, though. And if you expect God to be your cosmic genie giving you what you want when you want it, you're serving the wrong God. Go serve Baal. We serve the God that gives us what we need, not what we deserve. You understand that? By the way, Isaac's servants found water in that well, and they went and said, Wow, this is Beersheba. This is the same well that Abraham dug. You find out that wells are very important in the ancient world because they needed water. <coughs> Turn to Genesis 29. We'll read this one quickly. Is that okay? Y'all ready to give up on me? Abraham, Isaac, who comes next? Jacob. Very good. Jacob, in Genesis 29. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in a field with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. Why would there be a large stone in front of a well? Huh? To keep people from getting in it, right? wonder who put that there. Surely it was Abimelech. Surely it was Phicol. Somebody stopped up a well and had to be the devil, right? Well, let's keep reading. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. You mean we had some shepherds that didn't want an open well policy? They wanted to make sure that the sheep that they liked got water. They didn't particularly care about your sheep. 
Let's see how Jacob does with that. Then they would return the stone to its place, the mouth of the well. Verse 4, Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? Where you stay? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? You know what is he well is in Hebrew? I've taught you this before. It was a message called Colt 45, the peacemakers. They said, how's his peace? How's his standing with God and man is what they're asking. Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. Sounds like he wants to be alone with Rachel, doesn't it? We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well, then we will water the sheep. I want you to get this. Here's what's happening. The shepherds have stopped up the well. They said, nobody's getting any water until we get everybody here together and all the shepherds work together and then we'll water the sheep. Except that somebody's coming at an irregular time who happens to need water. Why do you think a woman shepherdess might be coming to the well at an irregular time? Well, we're going to find out when we read about Moses that sometimes the other shepherds gave him a hard time. So she's coming at an irregular time. How did you come to Jesus? Were you straight out of the womb, right out of utero, and suddenly you got born again? Probably not, huh? Maybe you didn't take the first opportunity to follow Jesus. Maybe you soiled your life pretty good. We serve the kind of God that will remove the stone anytime somebody needs water. These shepherds would only do it when there was a consensus. They would only do it when the committee said it's time. But God is calling the kind of people that will remove the stone whenever there is need. In fact, He never puts it back. What is that telling you? Saints, we withhold goodness. We withhold love. We withhold intimacy. We withhold what God has freely given us when we don't like somebody's timing, their attitude, their appearance, their buck teeth, their lack of deodorant, whatever it is. And we serve the kind of God that wants to remove the stones that other shepherds have put there. Who put the stone there? It was not the enemy. It was the shepherds. We live in a day where the church has set up more stones in front of the well of salvation almost than can be removed. It's our job to go pull out the earth that the enemy put in and to remove the stones that our own people's actions have laid in front of the wells. We need to give people what they need. Whether they're on time, late, early, whatever it is, we need to give them what they need. Do you only love your wife when she does exactly what you want her to do? You only love your neighbor when they do exactly what you want them to do? Do you only love the people at your job when they behave as they should? Are you willing to remove the stone and give them what they need when they need it? See, we have to be supernatural. We have to go further than others would. That's the kind of God we serve. There's a problem in the church and it's found in Exodus 2. I don't want it to be a problem in our church. See how I put those books in order for you? That way you wouldn't get lost. I preached a two-book message, Genesis and Exodus. We'll be in the second chapter of Exodus. We'll be closing here shortly. 
How many messages do you think you've heard in your life? Those of you that have known me, I figured out the other day I'd preached over 400 messages in my life. Some of you have heard almost all of them. A lot of you have been around longer than I have. How many messages do you think you've heard? How much more prepared, how much more well-fed do you really need to be before you act? And what's keeping you from acting? I know what's keeping most of us from acting. We can find it right here in verse 11 of chapter 2. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing one way, and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian, and he hid him in the sand. Why did he hide him? He knew it was wrong, right? Why did you guys not announce this week everything that you've done wrong to each other? Yeah, because you knew it was wrong. You don't want to be seen that way, do you? The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one, the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? Sounds like a reasonable question, doesn't it? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. Uh Uh-oh, Moses saw himself as damaged good, didn't he? The devil's convinced many of you that because of what you said last week in the privacy of your own home, you're not useful anymore. Because of what happened to you two years ago, because you fouled up what God fixed up, You are damaged goods. You can't be used. As I began to think about that topic, I thought, let's see, Abraham, he made this well, right? Under what circumstances did he make the well? Well, after a woman who was a concubine, not the one supposed to bear him offspring, and he had intercourse. He kind of screwed up his family situation, didn't it? And yet he still went out and named a well Beersheba and put a tamarisk tree there. Then I got to thinking, well, there was Isaac, though. Under what circumstances did Isaac go and reopen all those wells? How did he get introduced to Abimelech in the first place? Well, after he said, uh, this, this Rebecca, she's my sister. He just lied. The great man of faith, the 11 verses I didn't read you, the great man of faith had just lied because he didn't trust God there. And yet God used him to reopen the wells, kept him alive in famine. Well, What about Jacob? I mean, Jacob, he went out and he fought for Rachel and he rolled that stone away. Under what circumstances did God use Jacob? Why is he there? How did he get in that land? Well, he had lied to his father about being the firstborn. He had impersonated him, stole his brother's blessing, and was running for his life. What have you done that God can't get beyond? I want you to see why I admire Moses. Watch this. Verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. I'm sure that was just happenstance. God determined the times and places men would live and work. Why? So we'd reach out and find Him. How do you really see God on earth? You see His movement and His people. Not very many people have open visions. I'm proud of those that do. I think it's great. Most of the time, the Jesus you see are the people sitting on your left and right. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. 
some shepherds, not the enemy, shepherds, came along and drove them away. Love this. This is what I'm getting to. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flocks. Moses could have been sitting by that well saying, I used to be in the palace. Now I'm sitting by a well. Moses could have been sitting there saying, I was called to be the deliverer of Israel. And now I'm a failure in a foreign land. Moses could have been sitting there saying, I have sinned and I've fallen so far from God I can't be helped. I killed a man and hit him in the sand and everybody knows it. But instead he chose to get up and do something for God. He got up and went and fought with shepherds, plural, for the benefit of some people that needed his help. What do you think God's compelling you to do? There is a well of salvation that's been planted in you. Others have been fighting to help you keep it free from dirt and debris. But the majority of that job rests on you. God's watching to see whether you'll roll the stones away for other people. And the devil's right there telling you about all of the things that you did, all of the reasons that you're not useful, all of the reasons that you'll never measure up. But you can choose to get up and rescue those who are in need. I love Pilgrim's response to Apollyon, and I quote it to you all of the time. When Apollyon told him how bad he was and listed all the things that he had done wrong, he said, yeah, that's true, and much more which you failed to recount, and yet the God I serve is merciful. Saints, whatever it is that holds you down, God is aware of your situation. He's looking to see if you will choose to get up and fight. This year you have a new beginning. The question is, what will you do with it? I want to be like Moses. I want to come to the rescue of people in need. I want to live a life that that's way so that I can trust that you will come to my rescue when I'm in need. Turn to Proverbs 4. We're going to read two more scriptures and we close. Would you give me three if I needed them? How about if two were in the same book? Then you could give me four, right? Not really. Maybe. Proverbs 4. Starting in verse 20. If you're not turning with me here, you're missing out. If you sit right in front of something that will arm you for battle and ignore it, don't be surprised when you get shot and die. My son, pay attention to what I say. Now, if the Bible tells you that, don't you think we ought to pay attention? Verse 21. Do not let... I'm sorry, my son, listen... My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Does that remind you a little bit of God opening Hagar's eyes and her seeing a well that was always there right in front of her? God's words are your well of salvation. It's your job to keep them close to your sight. It's your job to let them dwell in you. The Jews actually wrapped them around their arms and put them on their forehead and recited them every day. Dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. For they are life to those that find them and health to a man's body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Where does the dirt that the enemy tries to pile up get? Where does the rocks that other Christians have placed in your field end up? It ends up in your heart. And you have to guard your heart. How do you do that? Do you do it by not interacting, not loving, not being around people, withholding intimacy? No, that's not how you do it. You guard it with the Word of God. You don't allow anything to dwell in your heart, nothing to dwell in your mind that does not 
compare favorably with the Word of God. 2 Corinthians 10 teaches this. He says, take captive every thought. Put away perversity from your mouth and corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. He doesn't say wait for God to make level paths. He says you make them. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. You know what evil is? It's anything God did not call you to do. Anything God did not call you, call, call you to do. We're going to flip a couple verses in Proverbs. Proverbs 25. I want you to hear the 26th verse. Tell me when you're there. Say, I'm there. Who else is there? Y'all there? Like a muddied spring or a polluted well is a righteous man that gives way to the wicked. Springs, wells are for one thing. They're so that you can fall on your face, drink the life-giving water, and be refreshed, recharged, and ready to go. And a righteous man that yields to wicked people is just as confusing as a well that has muddy water in it. You guys are supposed to be the tamarisk tree, standing beside the well of salvation, marking the way to life. And when you don't live as God called you to live, others see the tree, they get there, but they taste of the waters and it does not taste like Jesus and they're confused. Is that fair? Is that what God called us for? Let's be remade. Let's guard our hearts. Jeremiah 2.13 says, I hold these things against you, Israel. Not only have you forsaken me, the true source of living water, you've also dug your own wells. We've done all kinds of things that make us look religious that God didn't call us to do. You went to a church for years. You can quote certain scriptures. You've learned to act, dress, and talk like a Christian. Those are your own cisterns, saints. You know what is God's well of salvation in you? You know what fruit in keeping with repentance is that John the Baptist talked about? It's a righteous life. I don't care what creeds you know. I don't know, could care less what Christians you know. I want to see the fruit in your life because that's what the king expects of us. The last thing that we're going to read is Isaiah 12. Isaiah 12, they read every year at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Jews did. John 7.37 is a time where Jesus cries out in a loud voice on the last and greatest day of a feast, If any man thirst, let him come and drink of me. It just so happened that at that time they were reading and proclaiming and singing this Scripture. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. How many times have you heard that? I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It is amazing the number of times joy and salvation accompany each other in the Scripture. We can improve our looks by giving ourselves a faith lift. There's another corny one for you. A faith lift. 
In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known among the nations what He has done, and proclaim that His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. One more thought before we go. It's a quote that I just had to give you. This will make my third or fourth corny one. But I'm going to start again next year. People are like tea bags. You have to put them in hot water before you know how strong they are. Saints, this year may have been hot water, but what was it intended to show? How strong Jesus has made you. I want to be a part of a church that will not let up, shut up, back up. We are going to do the will of God. And the biggest hindrance to the will of God is our fear and our own feelings of inadequacy. Nobody has any problem believing Jesus can walk on the water. You have a problem believing you can do it. Because you remember the times you said, she's my sister. You remember the times that you lied about something to your brother. You remember the times you buried something in the sand. It is time to start fresh move on. You hear me? Y'all can say amen to that? Stand up, let's pray.